Uh, let's jump right into the series. I'm so excited. We're so glad that Lexi is back and the McCrays are back in worship with us. But let's jump into our series today dealing with the church. And during this month, what we're trying to do is we're trying to deepen our connection, deepen our relationships within the church while also extending our relationships outside the church. And the, and the big reason, the whole point of this and the whole point of taking weeks to talk about this is because we believe that we're better together. Right? Truth is, we like to be isolated at times, and we feel like that's appropriate, but we were created for community. Okay? We were wired for relationships. God designed you that way. We were made to walk through life together. I like the way the voice translates Romans 12, 15. We're going to dive right in. So everybody look at this verse with me. If you got your message notes open, uh, we're going to go ahead and walk through um, those notes together. If you're online, we are just so thankful that you're worshiping with us. Go um, open up the Ridge app and follow along on those message notes portions, okay? Romans 12, 15 puts it this way. Each one of us is joined with one another, and we become together what we cannot be alone, right? Now, focus on that word joined, and the truth is when you're a part of this church family, when we come to church on Sundays, when we're a part of this community, you are joined to the people around you. You're joined to the person that you're sitting next to. You're joined to the person that's in front of you. You're joined to the person that's to the side of you. You're joined to the people that are on the other cross of the room from you. And the reason this is so important is because we become together what we could not be alone. And that's so important. And I wish I could just leave it there. And we just leave this kind of on a high note. But honestly, I want to talk to everyone this morning about a problem. About a problem that can creep in. And the problem is sometimes we don't always feel joined. We don't always feel connected. In fact, sometimes we can even feel disconnected from each other. And especially with everything that's going on right now. Right? With the pandemic and... Uh, the rise in the Delta variant cases, I hope you're praying over that with me. And I hope you're praying for safety and healing. And with a disease that continues to push people into isolation, and, and then on top of that with the opposing opinions that everybody has, and with everything going on around us, it, it seems like sometimes it's just, it's just getting harder and harder and harder to feel connected and easier to feel disconnected. And what is it about us that makes it so hard, not just us at the Ridge, but at all churches, in all communities. Like, what is it that makes it so difficult to stay joined together? Right, right. Well, what is that? And I'm not talking about the external things that are happening around us. We're, we're not going to get into all those. No, no, no. What I'm talking about is internally speaking. Like, why do we allow that disconnection to happen? What, what is it about us, internally speaking, that makes us disconnect from one another, that, allow, that we allow relationships to kind of fall apart? That's what I want to do this morning. I want to talk about the importance of staying connected and what causes us to become disconnected. And the great thing about today's message is that I'm going to talk about how to stay connected within the church family. But you know what? You can use these points for every relationship you have, whether that's in your family, whether that's at work, whether that's at school, whatever. This is very practical, okay? And again, this isn't rocket science. Not going to mention anything like new that you've never thought of this morning. These are just things that we need to be reminded of, but they are biblical principles 
that we need to make sure that we are developing in our life. So again, here's where we're going. What breaks down a relationship and allows us to become disconnected and what builds up relationships and allows us to stay connected? That's where I want to go today. And to help us understand this just a little bit more, we're going to look at a few not-so-great moments from the disciples in Mark chapter 9 and 10. Okay, so if you got your Bibles, you want to follow along with me today, you can open that up to Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10. Uh, Be careful, because last Sunday taught us there is a guy on your phone that will speak those verses out loud if you press that button. So be very careful, okay, about that. I don't need any help preaching this morning. But the reason... I chose those two chapters is because it's right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, okay? He's recruited these disciples. He's in the thick of it with these guys. Man, he is training them. He is teaching them. He is spending all these, this time with them. And then there's these moments, these moments where these guys, you're just wondering, are they going to make it? Like, are they really going to stay together as a group? Because some of the things that happen with them are just so petty. Like, if they were a rock band, you would be wondering if they were going to go solo. Like, is Peter going to break out of the group and go solo? Because he just can't stand James and John anymore, right? So what I want to do is I want to look at some of those moments today that caused a little bit of disruption. Caused a little disconnection. And I want to learn from their mistakes. And the first story I want to look at is found in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Okay, if you want to jump to that verse. If not, don't worry. It's going to be up here on the screen, okay? But let me set this up. By this point in the chapter, Mark 9, 33, by this point, they are leaving one region and they are traveling through Galilee to a place called Capernaum. And while they're traveling, they've got a lot to talk about on the road. Because so much has happened by verse, in the 32 verses leading up to this, so much has happened, okay? And if you go back and you read it all, you'll find out that Jesus has just been transfigured, which is where he takes this moment on top of a hill and he transforms himself into his heavenly glory, which has just got to be so awesome. And then he heals somebody. And then after that, he he fills the disciples in about his death and resurrection, okay? So out of those three things that just happened, like what would you choose to talk about? Like, on that car ride to Capernaum, like, what's going to be the topic of conversation? I'd have a hard time choosing what to talk about first, right? So Jesus knows that the disciples are talking as they make their way to this place. And when they get to Capernaum, he, he, he looks at them and he asks them. And here, here's the question. He says, what were you discussing on the road? And look at their response. But they didn't answer. Because Jesus knew what they were talking about. And this is kind of like a parent catching a child talking about something that they shouldn't be talking about. And that, you know, the parent asks, what were you saying? And the child just gets real quiet, right? Because they know they're in trouble. So look at this. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. Are you kidding me? I mean, seriously, out of everything, Jesus, again, let's recap, just in case we forgot. Like, Jesus has just been transfigured. He's just healed somebody. He just told you he's going to come back from the dead. And you're talking about which one of you is the greatest? Seriously, come on. Let's jump into that first attitude that leads to disconnection within a group. And that first attitude is selfishness. 
The problem that we often have in our groups and in our settings and our family, within the church, wherever, it's selfishness. This is really the number one thing that breaks down a relationship. This is probably the greatest cause of all arguments that we have with other people. And this happens in every relationship, but what I will do is I'll, I'll illustrate this when it comes to marriage. And the reason I'm choosing marriage is because today is a special day because Shannon and I are celebrating 23 years of marriage today. 23 years. Thank you. And I will say that they have been the, tw- the best 22 years of Shannon's life, okay? And the reason I say that is because very early on, I made that first year kind of difficult. <laughs> Little selfish. Mostly my fault, of course. But when we're dating, it's totally unselfish, right? It's all about him, and it's, and, and it's all about her. In fact, when we were dating, this is kind of cheesy, but Shannon and I, in high school, she had to arrive to school earlier than me. So each morning, what she would do is she would leave a little note under the windshield wiper of her car for me. And I would go by the car and I would take her note and then I would replace it with one of my own and we'd leave each other little love notes each and every day. And some of y'all are thinking that is the sweetest thing. And then others of y'all are like, I just think I threw up in my mouth a little bit. But anyway, (laughs) that's how it is, right? But then as time goes on and we get married, you know, I hate to say it and this happens in every relationship, but not so much of the little love notes anymore, right? We just kind of get into life. We get a little bit more selfish over time. And like I said, this doesn't just happen in marriage. It happens in all relationships. And the reason this happens so much is because it's natural. It's natural to be selfish. We are born, Scripture is very clear about this, that we are born sinful. We are born selfish. You know this because one of the very first words that your child ever learns is not a word that you taught them, but they learn how to say mine, right? You don't have to teach a child to scream when they want something, right? No, what we have to do is we have to teach our children to share with their friends and to not pitch a fit when things don't go their way. And why do we do that? Because we know as parents that when they grow up, if they want strong relationships, they can't go around snatching things from other people, right? And as we grow up, hopefully we begin to realize that self-centeredness It doesn't build relationships. What it does is it destroys them. You can't be fully committed to a family or to a community if it's always about you. And I got news to share with you that if it's always about you, people don't want to hang out with you. Proverbs 28, 25 simply puts it this way. Selfish people cause trouble. So if selfishness destroys a relationship, If that causes us to become disconnected from each other, what builds up relationships? Well, well, the answer. Jesus gives us that answer. And he brings those disciples in after this moment of them discussing who's the greatest, right? So he brings them all in. And after he gets them to confess what they were talking about, he sits them all down. This is like the literal first come to Jesus meeting, like literally come to Jesus meeting, right? Come here, let me teach you what, so he's got them all, and I'm sure all their heads are down, and they're probably playing in the sand, trying not to make eye contact, and this is what Jesus says. Let's go on to the next slide. No, 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 go back, one more. He says, whoever wants to be first must take the last place and be the servant. So the solution that Jesus gives us is selflessness, right? If selfishness is the problem, then selflessness is the answer. 
And that, that means, well, what that means is I got to think a little bit less of myself and more of you, right? I, I, I'm not looking to be the greatest one. What I'm doing is I'm looking to serve the greatest one. And according to him, the best way to do that is to be selfless. So that's what I'm going to do with my family, at, at work, in my church. Again, I'm not going to look to be the greatest one. I'm going to look to serve the greatest one. So if selfishness destroys relationship, Jesus stops them and he has to bring them together. And we got to talk about this because he knows that this group, <laughs> he knows that this team, man, this, these disciples that he's building, they are destined for great things, but not if, not if they allow selfishness to be a part of it because that will destroy this. No, 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 no. If they want to accomplish great things, they got to be selfless. And you know what? The same is true with us when it comes to any relationship we have. If we want it to be great, selfless. All right, let's keep reading and see what these disciples can teach us. And in order to understand the next, we're going to stay in chapter 9, but in order to understand the next story, I want to take you to the beginning of chapter 9, to, to what I've already alluded to when Jesus healed somebody. Because at the beginning of chapter 9, is so amazing. This guy brings his child, this father brings his child to Jesus, and he wants Jesus to heal him. But he has a confession, and he says, listen, Jesus, I brought my child to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him, so now I'm bringing them, him to you. And Jesus says, well, bring him on. And, and Jesus heals this child. Which causes the disciples to come up to Jesus and they want to know, why couldn't we do it? You know, why couldn't we? We wanted to heal them. Why didn't it happen? What were we doing wrong? And so I'm going to let you go back later on. I'm going to leave, leave you on the edge of, of why they couldn't do it. You can go back later this afternoon and read at the beginning of chapter 9 to see what Jesus' answer for them. But the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring this up, is because a few verses later at the end of chapter 9, we find another story of someone else who is using Jesus' name and can heal people. And in verse 38, John comes up to Jesus with this news. And he's like, listen, I found this guy. Let's read this next verse. He says, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons. This guy's actually healing people. He's making it happen. This is huge. Okay, so people, what they're doing is they're learning about who Jesus is and the power that his name holds. And they are leveraging their faith in Christ to bring about these amazing miracles in the lives of other people. And they don't even know who this guy is. It's so amazing. And it shows you how much of Jesus's ministry is spreading. And this should be a moment, right, where the disciples are just pumped up and they're giving high fives and they're going up to this guy and like they're inviting him to be a part of the crew, right? But here's what they said. This is so great. So John told Jesus, look at this. So we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group, <laughs> I imagine Jesus was probably at this point, he probably looked up and he's like, can I just get a new group of guys? I mean, this group's defective. <laughs> can I take them back? Jesus responds to John. Look what Jesus says. He says, don't stop them. Why are you stopping them? Anyone who is not against us is for us. Here's my opinion. I think two things are happening in this story. Two big problems that break relationships apart, that disconnect the group. Okay, one of them is insecurity. The problem is insecurity. 
okay? I wonder if John and the disciples are just a little insecure with the fact that they couldn't heal somebody, but then just a few verses later, we find out someone else who isn't even part of this group is, and how dare he, and he, can you believe it, and why can he do it, and we can't do it, and I don't want anything to do with him, and by the way, did you see what he was wearing, loser, right? I mean, they probably just kept going further and further, and insecurity that we have. It destroys relationships. That insecurity that we carry around, it prevents us from being close to other people. And at the root, at the root of insecurity, I think, is fear. And I think fear is what's happening here. Fear is a huge barrier to relationships. And what do I mean by that? I think there's a few things that we fear that we're afraid of sometimes. We fear being found out. I think that's true for everyone. And I wonder if the disciples are a little worried that people are going to find out that they couldn't heal, but this guy could heal. And because they couldn't heal, like what are people going to say? And I'm afraid of that. We're afraid that someone might actually find out what we're really like. And so what we tend to do is we hide ourselves. We talked about this this morning in our volunteer worship time, that we pretend to be, not only do we pretend to be somebody that we're not out there, but we even do it inside the church. And as a result... We struggle in our relationships. Another fear that we have that leads, leads to insecurity is, is being rejected. And maybe John's thinking that if people found out that he couldn't heal this guy, that the disciples couldn't do it earlier, but this guy can, right? Well, then he might get replaced. What if Jesus dumps me for this guy? And we know what that's like. One of the worst fears that we have is rejection. And so to prevent that, what we do is we wall ourselves off sometimes and we prevent ourselves from getting too close and we keep them at arm's distance because I am never gonna allow another person to hurt me like that again. And when we do that and we live in that fear and we have that insecurity, it prevents us from staying connected or, for, or becoming connected with each other. And ultimately, those fears we have, man, man, it just breaks down our relationship. So if fear and insecurity breaks down a relationship, disconnects us, what builds, what builds them up? What, what keeps us connected? Well, the answer, the answer is love. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, that love casts out all fear. How does that work? Perfect love expels all fear. Like, how does love help me with the fear? And here's what love does. When I focus on love, I'm focusing on someone else and not myself. When I put more of a focus on you and less on, on me, then my insecurities go away. Then my fear tends to subside. It, it's it's kind of like this. It's kind of like public speaking. People still ask me all the time, do you, you, know, do you get nervous? And of course I do. There, there's a lot of people on Sunday mornings. But what makes a big difference with those insecurities and fear that I may have is when I focus on love, when I focus on how much I love this church, when I focus on how much I love you, when I focus on how much I love God. Right? That love, when I take the focus off me, if I'm focused on me on stage and I'm wondering, does my hair look right? How's this shirt make me look on camera? You know, like that kind of stuff, that just drives up the fear. But if I'm focused on love and I'm focused on you and I'm focused on God, that drives all that insecurity and fear out. You know, it goes back to the greatest commandment, right? This is what it's all about. It's to love God and love 
others, right? It, just resting in the fact that I know God loves me. I don't have to impress anyone. I know that I am loved for who I am. When I understand that and when I take that in or when I focus on that love, then all of a sudden, the fear starts to go away. And I can start building those relationships again. Now, another thing that's happening in this story here is a little resentment. I think a little resentment is happening. And again, not only are these guys feeling a little insecure and a little afraid because they couldn't do it, but I think they're resenting this guy a little bit because he could do it. And you know what? We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if this guy was doing a lot of things over a long period of time and they finally just had enough and they send John and they're like, just tell this guy, John, he's got to stop because he is being just too annoying, right? It's just too much. And the reason I say that is because sometimes we tend to feel like resentment happens when, with the big things in life. And that's not always the case. Resentment sometimes happens when we allow those little things to build up in our relationships. You know, there's little things that just annoy us. And we allow it to keep building up and building up and building up until finally we just resent, we just get irritated with the other person. So here's what I did this morning. I got a list of some of the most irritating things in life. I wrote these down and I want you to play along. On a scale of one to five, I want you to see how irritating, I want to see if these things are as irritating to you as they are to me. Okay, one being not so much, five means it just makes my skin crawl. Okay, here's the first one. Someone is using their phone while you're trying to talk to them. Give me, give me a rating, one to five. Five, I see a lot of fives. I'm going to give that a strong four, irritating. How about this? Someone texts you in all caps and you're like, why are you yelling at? me. One to five. Okay, all right, all right, I'm seeing it. Okay, a person who walks into the restaurant, but they don't hold the door for you and you're right behind, and they let the door close on you. One to five, let me see. Okay, all right, so I got some five. How about this? People who sing along to songs, but they don't know the words. How annoying. One to five. Oh, okay, I've I'm going to give that a one because I'm the person that sings along and doesn't know the words, okay? How about this? This is another problem that I have because I drive a truck. How, how many of y'all park? People that park too close to the line or over the line, one to five. Oh, a lot of fives on that. Please don't park near me. Um, people who talk during a movie. Let me see. One to five. Yeah, okay. That's a pretty annoying one. Um, people who take more than 10 items in the express lane. Oh, that's a five. And while we're talking about standing in the express lane, the people who stand too close to you when you're in line, oh, that's a five. That's a five. I'm like, what? I'm going to need you back up, right? If I can smell you, you're too close, right? Okay, love it. Here's my point. Here's my point. There are some people in our lives that just do a lot of little things. And those little things annoy us. And if we're not careful, we can allow that to build up towards resentment. And if we do, then we become disconnected. And the problem with this is that when you resent someone, you don't always think clearly. And obviously this is the case with the disciples, right? They're just not thinking clearly on this. If they were thinking clearly, they would want people out there using the name of Jesus to heal other people, right? But when you resent someone, man, your perspective gets a little clouded. And you give an emotional response. And when that happens, you don't always make the best decision in that relationship. It just starts to fall apart. So what do we do to prevent resentment in our lives? And stay connected. Here's a solution. 
The solution is to forgive. It's forgiveness. Forgiveness restores and rebuilds relationships. And y'all, I could spend a whole nother, I'm already, I've only got five minutes left. I could spend a whole nother sermon talking about why we need to forgive other people, okay? Uh, one of the main reasons we gotta forgive is because we cannot hold on to grudges. Grudges don't work. The only thing that grudges do is destroy us. It's like drinking poison and, if, and thinking it's gonna affect the other person when all it does is it hurts us. We can't hold on to grudges. N- number two is because I've been forgiven by God. And if I've been forgiven by God, then I need to give forgiveness to other people. And number three, I'm going to need to be forgiven in the future. And Jesus talks about this specifically when he says, if you need to be forgiven, then you need to forgive other people. And I don't want anything disrupting my communication or my relationship with God. So I need to give forgiveness. And we got to forgive and not allow that resentment to build up because when we do, it can dry up our hearts. And it puts us in a place where we just don't have anything to give anyone anymore. We get so stuck in the past that we can't move into the future. So maybe a better option is forgiveness and allowing God to repair and rebuild that relationship. All right, one more thing to share. One more attitude that, the, that these disciples have that, I, that will just destroy relationships. And we go back to John and his brother James. And in the next chapter, chapter 10, just a few verses later, James and John come up to Jesus and they got a question for him. And here's the big question for Jesus. They ask Jesus, when you sit on your glorious throne, that one day that we're all looking forward to, and they don't understand when it's coming, but they know it's going to happen. And Jesus, when you're on your throne, we want to sit. Here's the big ask. We want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other one on your left. And I can't help but think, poor Jesus. I mean, sometimes he's just got to feel like he's chaperoning a fourth grade trip to the museum. I mean, he's just like, these guys. Jesus is, again, he's looking at these guys and he's like, I'm sure he rolled his eyes and he's like, you just don't get it. And I'm sure at the same time he's looking at the other disciples wondering, did they hear what these two guys are asking? If they heard what these two guys are asking, did they want to be in charge? Did they want to be in charge of everybody else? I'm sure that's not going to go over well. But we don't have to wonder if those guys heard because we read in verse 41, it says, when the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had to ask, they were indignant. And I'm sure Mark, when he was writing this gospel, he probably was thinking of the word to describe it best. And he was like, you know what? We'll just go with indignant. (laughs) I'm sure there were a lot of other stronger words he could have used for how the disciples were feeling. What's going on here? The problem that we often have is pride. Pride ruins relationships, right? When I think I'm the best... And because I'm better than most, I deserve what's coming to me. And before you start thinking to yourself, like that word pride, we don't like that word. We don't like to think that we have anything to do with this word. But before you think that this is meant for somebody else, let me tell you how this works out in our own lives and how this might impact everybody in here. I'm going to do this in a Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck kind of version, okay, but with pride. If you tend to get too critical with what they post or you're just critical to other people, you might have a little pride. 
if you tend to be too judgmental and you find yourself looking down on other people at work, at school, in the neighborhood, you might have a little pride. If you're stubborn and you can find it extremely difficult, you find it extremely difficult to apologize for anything and you can't admit when you're wrong, you might have a little pride. No elbowing during these, okay? And if you're always offering advice, but you never ask for advice, might be a little prideful. See, truth is, I think we could go on and on and on with examples, but I think we all struggle with pride a bit in our lives. And the Bible says, very simply, Proverbs 16, 18, it says that pride will destroy a person. And it'll destroy a relationship. So imagine, I imagine Jesus just giving this huff in the middle of this. Just, oh my goodness, right, here we go again. Uh, another come to Jesus moment. This attitude that you have, James and John, this is not going to help the group. This is not what the kingdom is about. This isn't what I want the church connection to be about. That we're trying to start. We want to change the world, so we got to get a hold on this. So Jesus says this. He, he, he turns to them, he says, You know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Okay, Jesus is like, this is the mindset of the world. You're being like everybody else, right? This is why people want the big thrones. They like the power. They like the authority. They like the spotlight. They like all the glory. And Jesus says, but among you, you're going to be different. Jesus is like, I want something different for you and how you relate to each other. And so he goes on to share the solution for pride. And the solution for pride is all about humility. And he closes out that section when it comes to being humble and having an attitude of humility. He says this to them. He says, watch me. Watch me and how I do it. And the reason he says that is because here we have the Son of God, the most important person in the universe, and yet he comes and he humbles himself to die on a cross for all of us. And this is such a big deal that Paul, Paul later, the Apostle Paul, he's thinking about this and he's writing to the church in Philippi about this. And he says, you know what, Jesus, even though he could, he he could have like grasped onto everything that had to do with God. He was equal in nature with God, but yet he didn't use that status for his benefit. Paul was like, when Jesus came to this earth, right, he didn't walk into the restaurant and and demand the best table because of who he was. He didn't walk around bragging about what you can do, right? Oh, yeah, I see what you can do, but can you heal a guy? Watch this, right? He didn't do that. He didn't expect the best seats at the concert or the football game because he was the son of God. Paul puts it this way. He says, when he was living as a man, when Jesus came to this earth, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that meant death, even when it meant dying on a cross. So Paul, so Jesus, when he's teaching the disciples, he's like, watch me. When Paul is teaching about humility, being the opposite of pride, he says the same thing. Watch Jesus. Learn from Jesus. So a good question, a good thought about how to develop more humility in your life and how we can do that 
is by understanding who we hang out with the most. You know, I think about this all the time. If, if, if I want more of something in my life, then I need to be surrounded with those people that have more of that in their life, right? Like, if I want to be, if, if I want to be grumpy and I hang out with grumpy people, then I'm going to be grumpy. If I want to be happier and I hang out with happier people, then I'm going to be happy, right? Same thing. If I want more humility in my life, if I want to work on those pride issues, if I want better relationship, Jesus says, watch me. Be with me. So that means what I got to do is I got to prioritize my time to be with Jesus each and every day because he is the best example, the best example that we have. So in this church and in our lives, what I want is I want this to be a place where we build up our relationships, right? Where we stay connected where we are joined together to do God's work because we're better when we remain together. So maybe today, maybe if you took down those message notes, if you filled that out on the app, email it to yourself down at the bottom, you can do that, right? And maybe you can look at those relationships that you have in your life that are just kind of teetering. And maybe that there's some selfishness that needs to be replaced with selflessness, right? Maybe, maybe there's some insecurity. Maybe replace that with love, where, where there is resentment. Maybe replace that with some forgiveness. And, and where we have a little pride, maybe replace that with humility. Because honestly, God has given us these relationships. And I thank God every day that he has given us such a great church family. And he wants us to do everything we can do joined together because we together can accomplish what we cannot do alone. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the relationships that you have given us. We thank you for our families. We thank you for our friends. We thank you for our work environments. We thank you for our schools. We thank you God, we thank you for our church family. And God, I realize at times we struggle in our relationships. So God, would you help us understand where we might have a little pride? God, help us understand where we might have a little insecurity. Where we might have a little resentment. And maybe it's not a big resentment because of a big thing, but maybe it's just little things that have built up. God, help us to understand where that is. Maybe we got a little selfishness. Because God, even the tiniest amount of these negative attitudes can disconnect us. And God, we want to do the best that we can, that we can do for your glory. And for that to happen, God, we need great relationships. Because when it comes to accomplishing great things for you, we're, we're always better together. So God, just use this church family. God, use us in the world around us, in our work, in our family, in our schools, wherever we are. In a world that just seems to be more divided now than ever before, God, keep us connected. Keep us connected to you. Keep us connected to each other. Keep us strong. So this church continues to make a huge impact for your kingdom. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Amen.